But Woodlands Church, I am talking today about an amazing and epic story filled with the highest highs and the lowest lows. It's a feel-good story, and it's also a really painful story. It's a comedy, and it's a tragedy. It's a suspense thriller where you can't wait to see what happens next, and at times, it's a slow-moving drama that you just have to trudge through. It's a heartwarming story. It's a heart-wrenching story. It's a success story. It's a failure story. It's a love story. It's a loss story. But most of all, it's a real story because it's the story of you. Ellie Wiesel said, God created human beings because he loves stories. And that is so true. God is captivated by the story of you. Not the fiction story that you would like for God and others to believe, but I mean the real story. Not the image of you, but the real you. Because your life story is nonfiction. It's real and it's raw. It's not some fantasy where everything always works out perfectly. It's not a fairy tale where everything is always happily ever after. No, your story is a nonfiction story. But it doesn't have to be a non-fulfilling story. That's why we're starting this new series that I'm calling The Story of You because your story is filled with wonderful chapters and painful chapters. Your story is filled with good and bad, but it doesn't have to be a bad story. When you give the pen to God and let him write the story, he takes the bad, the painful, and everything and brings good out of it because he always writes a good story. Your story might be hard, it might be difficult, but it's a good story. When you give the pen to God, he always writes good stories. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 25, is just one verse, um, but it is so profound. So would you stand in honor of God's word? Woodlands Church, I wanna welcome all you guys worshiping with us at our Atascacita campus, everyone worshiping with us from our North Point campus and all you guys here at the Woodlands campus. And we wanna just welcome all of you who are connecting with us online. We have thousands now that connect with us online every weekend from our area and around the world. The main thing is let's just stay connected during this time. And that's what you're doing. So it's so exciting though to see that we have in-person services. Uh, yeah, I was gonna have to get some cardboard cutouts of your faces, and like they do at some of the ball games, you know, and, and just put some fake people out there just to keep my energy level up. But you guys are amazing, so it's so great to have in-person services again, but whether you're connected with us online or you're here, as long as you're connected, that's what matters. So follow along with me. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. What a powerful verse. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Dear God, today, we ask you to rewrite the story of our lives. Lord, we pray that you would just take your pen and work miracles today, that you would just write a good story out of all the bad, that you would write a miracle story out of all the mess, that you would write a purposeful story out of all the pain, as only you can. I thank you today, Lord, that everyone within the sound of my voice, 
you want to speak to them. And you, Lord, are the master storyteller. And you want to write something beautiful and brilliant out of our lives. I pray that we would give you the pen. That today would be the day we would give you the pen and let you write what you want because you are the master storyteller. Do that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. He always preached in stories. I love Matthew 13, verse 34. It says, all Jesus did that day was tell stories. A long storytelling afternoon. His storytelling fulfilled the prophecy. I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out into the open things hidden since the world's first day. The people were spellbound by Jesus' storytelling. He was the master storyteller, the greatest storyteller of all time, and he always preached in stories. Now, why did he do that? Because he created us, and he knew we were created for story. That's why the only thing you ever remember from my sermons is the stories. They stick because you were made for stories, and your life is a story. Jesus, the great storyteller, would use illustrations and in his stories from things that were all around him. He was always using props and illustrations. He, he would say, hey, look at that bird up there. You know, that bird's not worried. The bird knows that his heavenly father's gonna take care of him. Hey, look at those flowers over there. You know, they're not worried, they're not anxious. Human beings are the only creation of God that worries. Everything else he created doesn't worry because they know the Heavenly Father will take care of them. And he said, look at that guy over there planting seed. He's putting seed out into the field and some of the seed is landing on rocky ground and it's not gonna be able to grow up. And sometimes we have hearts that are made of stone and, and cold toward God. And he would just use everything all around and people were just spellbound by his stories. And a lot of times we as preachers, we forget that. We forget that we were made for stories, and, and my goal has always been to preach more like Jesus. If I can just preach a little bit more like Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He just always told stories that had life-changing principles from the Word of God. And so, he told stories because our lives are stories, and we get stories because we were made for stories. Your life is a story whether you want it to be or not, your life is always telling a story to everyone around you. So what is it telling? What is your life saying? So Jesus taught in stories, so I thought we would start out by looking at one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. And in a way, this story is the story of every one of us. In Luke 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the characters in this story are a father and two sons, and the father represents God. And then one of the sons, the younger son, is who we call the prodigal son. He demands his entire estate, and then he runs as far away from the father as he can go. Now we mistakenly call this story, Jesus didn't call it the story of the prodigal son, but we've labeled it, in our Bibles, the story of the prodigal son, but really it's the story of a loving father. The prodigal son is not the main character in the story. 
the loving father is the main character in the story. And you're not the main character in your story. God is. We just get to be part of his story because his story is all of history and all of the future. His story is what we're a part of. You're not the main character in your story. God is the main character in the story. Now, the prodigal son wanted to be the main character in his story. He demands his inheritance while his father is still alive. And the father divides the inheritance between the two sons. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, whenever a son would demand his inheritance while his father was still alive, he was basically saying, I wish you were dead. And I'm gonna live my life like you're not part of my story. I'm gonna erase you from my story. And so the prodigal son runs off to live his life as if his father is not part of the story at all. He's supposed to be the main character, but the prodigal son wants to be the main character. And he lives his life as if his father is not part of his story at all. And some of you are living your life like God is not part of your story at all. You're trying to be the main character in your story. You're trying to erase God out of the picture. And it never works. And some of you who are Christ followers this last week, you've lived as if God is not part of your story. You've been filled with worry and anxiety and you haven't prayed. You got a big problem that you're facing, but you haven't talked to God about it. You haven't given it over to God. You haven't sought God. But today, you're here right now because God is part of your story. Sometimes we as Christians act like practical atheists because we believe in God, but we'll live our life during the week or during a day as if God doesn't exist, thinking we've got to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But this prodigal son, he was living his life like God wasn't part of his story. He lives his life like he's the main character in his world, and it ends in pain and failure. He squanders all his money. You know, he spends all his money on partying and his friends and fast cars and all that, and he ends up losing everything. And a famine hits the land, and he has to get a job, and, and the only job he could get was feeding pigs in a pig pen, and his pay was he got to eat some of the pig slop after the pigs finished because the pigs were more important than he was. Now, everyone hearing Jesus' story, they knew exactly what he meant by that. They were so intrigued by it because for a Middle Eastern Jew, you know, a pig was the most unclean animal there could ever be, and to work in a pig pen would be the lowest job you could ever get, and then to have to be behind the pigs when you eat, they come before you. I mean, that was as low as anyone could ever go. They couldn't imagine anything lower than working in a pig pen. But it's in the pig pen of pain that the story starts to take a twist. It says in Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, up until this time, the prodigal son had been trying to write his own story. He thought that he could write the story best, and he had written his father out of the story. He was trying to be the main character, writing his own story, but finally, 
he realizes that pen is too heavy for him to carry. In fact, it's in the pig pen that he finally decides he's gonna turn the pen over to his father and let him write the story. You're not the main character of your story. You're not the author of your story. God is the author and finisher of our faith. And we try to write our own story and leave God out. And sometimes, though, we try to write our own story and we give God a minor role. Say, God, I'm gonna write you in. I'm gonna write you into the script, God. I'm gonna gonna give you a little part. You're gonna say a line right here. Isn't that great, God, that I've written you into the script of my life? Now, I'm the main character. I'm the author. You know, I get to write what I want. I get to call the shots in my life and do what I wanna do, but God, I want you to be a part of it. You know, I mean, I, I, I wanna be a Christian. I'm gonna write that in. I, I wanna follow you, God, and I'll write that in, and you'll get a little part in my life. I'll let you make some decisions in my life, but not very many, because you're just gonna have a minor part. And, and aren't you excited about that, God? And God says, no, I'm not gonna take a minor part in your life. It's either all or nothing. But we try to write God into a, a minor role and think God's gonna be really happy about that, and God says, no. I'll let you go ahead and write your own story. I'm not gonna be any part of this. You write your own story and God will let you take the pen and write your own story and it always ends in failure. It always ends in the pig pen. It always comes to the pig pen chapter of the story whenever we try to write our own story. But God will let you because he's a loving God. And he will let you write your own story and he will allow you to end up in the pig pen of pain because we don't change when we see the light, we change when we feel the heat. And this young man began to feel the heat of trying to write his own story. He's in the pig pen of pain and he's a humbled son. And he wakes up, the story turns when he says, what am I doing here? How did I end up in the pig pen? I mean, even the servants in my father's house, they've got it made. You know, he feeds them so well, he takes such good care of them. And here I am in the pig pen. I'd be better off to go back and be a servant in my dad's house. I know he could never take me back again as a son because I've messed up. I've just screwed everything up. And I've hurt him so deeply that there's no way that he could ever take me back to be his son again. To write me in again as the son. As a character in the story but maybe he would write me in as a servant in his house. Maybe he would do that. I've gotta go home. It's in the pig pen of pain that he experiences the greatest miracle. The pig pen of pain was the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and sometimes it's in the pig pen that we wake up and we come to our senses, and some of you are in a pig pen of pain right now. And maybe you've tried to write the story of your life and it's just ended up in pain. But God says, it's in that pain that I can bring about my great purpose. And so this young man would like to erase the pain, and we would like to erase the pain from our story. So many times I've tried to erase the pain from my story. We try to erase the pain, the failure, the heartache, the loss, because we think those things are bad. But just think about it. Every great story always has pain and loss and heartache and failure in the middle of it. If it didn't have that, 
it wouldn't be a great story. Without it, it wouldn't be a great story. And so God wants you to give him the pen so he can write that great story from your pain. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. Saying the pain that drives you to God is good. We don't like it at the time. It doesn't feel good, but the pain that drives you to God is good. The pig pen of pain is the best thing that could ever happen to you because God loves you so much and he knows you were never made to write your own story. And you come back and you finally give the pen back to the author and finisher of your faith. You can't erase the pain, but you can let the pain drive you into the arms of the Father. You can't erase the bad parts of your story, but you can give the pen to God and let him write something good from it. You can't erase your failures from the story, but you can give the pen to God and let him write the story of faith from your failures. You can't erase the pain and the trauma out of your story as much as we try, but you can give the pen to God and he can write a story of purpose from the pain. We're always trying to erase the pain, to get the pain out of there, to ignore the pain. We're always trying to erase the failures. Don't wanna think about my failures, but God says, I'm gonna take those very failures and turn them into a faith story. I'm gonna take the biggest mess in your life and write it into a miracle. God doesn't erase the pain from your story. You can't erase the pain from your story. You can't erase the failures from your past, but God can take them and rewrite them into something powerful and beautiful and good. You can't take the bad out, but God can take that bad and write it into something good. Every great story has those times of loss and failure. And then there's the comeback story. And the greatest comeback story of all time was written by Jesus Christ with his very life because he turned the story of crucifixion into the story of resurrection. He turned the story of death into the story of life. He turned the story of hell into the story of heaven. And so, don't try to erase the pain. Don't try to ignore the pain. Just give the pen to God and let him write something new and powerful out of the pain. Now the son starts practicing this speech. He's thinking, I'm gonna go home, but he's afraid to go home because after all he's done, I mean, he left really proud, thinking he knew what he was doing. He was the main character in his story, and he thought that the setting was holding him back because the setting of the story was in his home in his father's house, and he thought, this setting is holding me back. You know, I, I'm gonna go where I can have the most fun. I'm gonna go where I can do what I wanna do. I'm gonna go where I can be in charge of my destiny. And so he thought the setting was holding him back, and so he leaves in pride, but when he comes back, he's humbled. I mean, he, he's just in rags. You know, he, he's lost one sandal, you know, and he's limping around, and. He's filthy and he smells like pigs and he is humbled. He's no longer running, he's walking back. And as he's walking back, he's practicing the speech that he's gonna use on his dad and, and he's saying, dad, I know that you can't write me in to the story again as your son. I mean, I've hurt you so bad. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm so unworthy, but could you write me in just a really small part? You know, write me out of the pig pen and write me into a really small part of the story. Write me into that, maybe just a servant, the lowest of servants, so I can at least have warm meals and, and you're so kind to the servants. Just write me in for that one. I mean, he left saying, I'm gonna be the main character, and he took the pen and ran. I'm gonna write the story of my life. But he comes back saying, I'll just take any part. I'll just take any part, Father. Now, he was fully aware of his brokenness at this point. He had a clear story of how broken he was, but he had no clue as to the story of God's love. He had no clue as to the story of his father's love. And that's the way we are. A lot of times we really know after our failures and the pig pen of life, our brokenness, we're so in tune with our brokenness, we have a clear story of how broken we are and unworthy we are, but we have no clue when it comes to the story of God's love for us. And Satan will come in with that fiction. He'll tell us that God can't use you again. You've blown it too many times. I mean, God is just fed up with you. You can't come back to God for forgiveness. I mean, come on. You're so unworthy that, you know, God's not gonna take you in. God's not gonna take care of you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care what you're going through. And Satan's fiction has been coming into some of your minds and you're believing it as nonfiction. You're starting to believe that God really doesn't care. He doesn't know what you're going through. He doesn't care about you. And it's a lie from Satan. But this young man, he didn't realize how much his father loved him. He knew how broken he was, and that brokenness leads to blessedness. But it's only blessedness if the brokenness brings you to God. And that last verse we read talked about how brokenness and distress and pain, if you let it push you away from God and you run from God because you don't know how much he loves you, then that will end in a deathbed filled with regrets. But if you let it push you into the arms of the Father, then it's a good thing, maybe the best thing that could ever happen to you. In Luke 15, 20, it says, so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, he saw him from a long way off. Think about that for a moment. This father saw him from a long way off and then ran to him. So this shows me that probably every day the father was looking out the window, just thinking about his son, thinking about how much he loved him, thinking that he wished he would come home, looking, is today the day he's gonna come home? Just thinking and praying that he's okay. Just praying that somehow he'll come back home. Every day he must have been looking out the window thinking about how much he loved his son, to see him from a long way off. And here's the point. You're not the main character in your story, but the main character is crazy about you. He loves you so much. The main character is crazy about you. He thinks about you all the time. He loves you so much because your story is really a love story between you and God. And this young man had no idea that his story was a love story between he and the father. And as he's coming home, it says the father runs to greet him and wraps him in his arms and says, my son is home. You're home. 
The father's weeping and holding him, and there's no other religion, by the way, that pictures a God who does that. Holds his children when they turn to him. Forgives them, hugs them. This is a love story. And the prodigal son had this speech all prepared. I love how he has this speech all prepared and he starts to go into his speech. You know, you can't write me in as, as a son anymore, I know, but if you could just write me in with a really small part to be your servant, that would be great. And the father just ignores him because the son coming home represents that he gave the father back the pen. And the father now has that pen to write the story and he just ignores what the son is kind of trying to write, that fiction, and he just immediately starts rewriting the story. Look at it in Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father wastes no time in starting to write a new story from the old. He writes a story that goes from sorrow to celebration, a story that goes from rebellion to restoration. And that's what our Heavenly Father does when we just turn to him and say, God, I give you the pen. I'm tired of trying to write my story. I'm tired of trying to write you as a minor character in my life. I give you the pen, you're the main character. And you can write my story however you want because I know you know what's best. And you write a really good story. Really, this is the story of us all. The story of the prodigal son. Because we all at times try to write God out of our story or we try to write our own story or be the main character in our story. And some of you right now, you're trying to be the main character. And God says, you need to give me the pen and I'll write something beautiful and powerful. And some of you feel like your story is already written. I want you to know, God has the last word. If you'll give the pen to God, he has the last word. Your story is not yet written. God will write the last word in the last sentence on the last page and the last chapter. You give God the pen because your story is not written yet. He's just getting started with your story and he can take all the pain and all the hurt and all the loss and he can write something beautiful out of it. Your story's not written. Give the pen to God and let him write the story of your life. All the pain won't be erased, but it will be written into something powerful. I wanna tell you, the story of another father, my father. You know, my father went to be with the Lord last spring, and right before he went to be with the Lord, he said, Carrie, I really believe that I want to write the story of my life, and so I've been writing down some things about my life. He said, I just feel really compelled to write the story of my life, and he said, I would call it how God can use an ordinary man. And then the subtitle would be the decisions that determine your destiny because he said, I've made several choices, three mainly, that have forever changed my life and our choices are so important. And he went on to tell me his story and a lot of things I'd never even heard before and I would write things down and I would ask him questions and, 
He was born on an autumn day in 1935 in a small town in Arkansas during the Great Depression. But the Great Depression that he experienced that affected his life the most in his little world was the clinical depression that his dad suffered from. You see, his dad and mom both loved the Lord and set a godly example for him, even though times were tough, but his dad was his hero. He was the town barber and he would work tirelessly for hours, sometimes 14 hours a day just to put food on the table in spite of struggling with bouts of deep depression that the medical professionals didn't really understand how to treat at the time. And my dad was an only child and his mother thought she was unable to have children, but she prayed to God that he would give her a child. She said, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you and I will pray that he will go into ministry and become a pastor. And when my dad was nine years old, he gave his life to Christ. He didn't have a lot growing up, but he had the things that every child really needs, a loving home and a dog. Here he is. I love that car. When my dad was 13 years old, his childhood was interrupted and his life was just devastated when he heard a gunshot in the house and he rushed in to find his dad's body on the floor because his dad's depression had worsened and in a moment of despair, he'd taken his own life. And to a 13-year-old, the trauma was just too much to fully comprehend. And it was a loss that he would never get over. He never got over it, but he got through it with God's power. And I remember so many times when he would comfort someone who was grieving, he would share his story and they would feel so connected to him because they knew that he knew, that he really knew what they were going through. But after his dad's death at 13, he was uprooted from all that he knew. He and his mom moved from this small town to the big city so that she could find work and he also had to get a job to help support them. And after school and on Saturdays, he would work for hours. He also went from a small rural school to the largest high school in the state. And he told me that it was during those years that he grew really close to God because he said, I felt so alone. And he found out that God is close to the brokenhearted. And at 15 years old, he felt God's call on his life to be a pastor. Here he is. And he said that, that his mom then told him what she'd been praying all this time. She didn't want to tell him before. She thought it might stress him out. He said at 15, when he felt God's call to preach, he wrote in his Bible the three choices that would forever change his life. He wrote master, marriage, and ministry. So he'd already given his life to the master storyteller. That decision he already made. And then he prayed that God would help him make the right decision, you know, for marriage, for his marriage partner. He prayed for God to help him then fulfill his ministry, his life mission. And at 18, he became the pastor of a little country church outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. And that's where he met the love of his life, my mom. They were both teenagers at the time. I can't even imagine, 18 years old, pastoring a church. And a few years later, they were married. He told me that this was the second most important decision that he ever made, next to his decision to follow Christ. And he made a good decision. They were married for 63 years. And children soon followed. 
Um, my dad was always there for us. Yep, that's me on the right there. Um, he worked really hard, but he never missed one of our ball games. He, he was so playful and fun. On Christmas Day, 1972, another tragedy struck as my dad's mom was killed in a car crash, and his mother had always been there for him. She was always his biggest cheerleader. She was always there, you know, wherever we moved and she moved, and it left another hole in his heart, but he was comforted by the fact that his mom and dad were reunited in heaven. And he and my mom had four children and did an amazing job raising us because he was always real. When he would make a mistake, he would ask for forgiveness from us. Um, you know, he, he didn't try to pretend. He always practiced what he preached. What he preached on Sunday, he lived out on Monday, just being real. And that's why um, somehow it got us through our teenage years. And there's our teenage years. There, I'm in the back in my leisure suit, feeling like I look real cool. And four grown kids still love to be, loved to be around him. We love to be around him. Even, you know, just he's always still so fun and, and so real. He and my mom were married for 63 years. And after my mom's stroke, he was always there taking care of her. And what a legacy that he left. You know, 20 grandchildren, 16 great-grandchildren. Um, and when he went to be with the Lord last spring at 84 years of age, his last words were for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He got those words out. For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I thought, what a legacy. Just yesterday, my nephew texted me a picture of my dad's Bible. He said, I was reading in granddaddy's Bible and I came across that verse, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain, and he had underlined it real boldly. And that's on his gravestone. For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But a couple of days before he died, he said, well, I guess God doesn't want me to write my story after all because I, I just can't do it. I'm not strong enough. And I want to say, Dad, you're right. God didn't want you to write your story because the master storyteller wrote your story so big and bold in my life and in the lives of thousands of people. The master storyteller wrote your story and he continues to write that story you see, my dad led me to the Lord and he led my wife to the Lord before we even met and in so many thousands. Woodland Church wouldn't be here without him. You know, and, and his legacy lives on because God, the master storyteller, wrote his story. He didn't get a chance to write his story, but he didn't have to because God already wrote his story and God continues to write it. Folks, don't buy into the world's fiction. Don't buy into the world's fiction that you need prestige and power, possessions to be happy, to make an impact. You see, a selfish mission in life will die with you. It'll be buried in the ground with you. But when you have God's mission, God's purpose, it will live on. God's purpose, that's the story. It's not about me, it's about God. It's not about you, it's about God. He's the main character. And when we surrender our hearts and the pen to the main character, he begins to write our story because he's also the author and the finisher of our faith. And he will finish what he started. 
your story is not yet written. You say, I don't have a story like your dad. You know, I, I didn't make those choices. I've made a lot of bad choices. I don't have a legacy like that. I have a lot of broken relationships. And my story is written, and I want you to know, no way. No way. God takes everything, and he writes something new and beautiful out of it. God has a purpose in every pain and in every problem. If you'll give him the pen, he can write something beautiful out of your story. It's never too late. Your story's not written. Let God have the last word. Your story's just beginning. I want us to bow our heads. And if you would say to me, Carrie, I have to admit, I've been trying to be the main character of my life, and I need Jesus desperately to save me. I need him to be the main character of my life. Would you just pray this prayer silently to God? Maybe you're worshiping with us online or you're right in one of our campuses. Just pray this prayer silently to God. Dear Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for trying to be the main character of my life and trying to write my own story. I've made so many mistakes and sins and I have so many regrets. So I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I give you the pen of my heart and ask you to be the Lord, the author of my life and write a new story out of the pain. Write something beautiful out of the ugliness, Lord, as only you can. I accept your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. Now help me grow in my faith. Come into my life with your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out. And I pray that you would write the rest of my story. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just prayed that prayer, would you just online right now, if you're online, just click, I wanna raise my hand to receive Christ. Or if you're in one of our campuses, let a pastor know that you received Christ. We wanna help you grow in your faith. We've got a big membership class coming up really soon where you can connect and join the church and uh, you can sign up for that online. It's gonna be in October, it's gonna be a huge class. And I just wanna say that if you are going through a painful time right now, maybe it's a hurt or a wound that you didn't cause, that a trauma that just makes no sense, it's so unfair, just know that God can take everything and he can bring good out of it. He can write something good and he's still writing. You can't erase the pain, but God can take it and he can write a new story of purpose and healing and restoration in it. And we're praying for you, our pastors are praying for you. Well now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us and, and since we don't pass the offering plate, um, but we still take our offering and it's so important in our lives and in our church. And so I just encourage everyone at our campuses right now, take out your smartphone because that's how you give. You can just take out your smartphone and you can text the word GiveWC, and it has to be one word, GiveWC, to 77977. GiveWC to 77977. And you can set up your giving right there. You can give today, right now. Or uh, if you're at home, you can go to your computer, and um, you can go right to our website, and it's um, wc.org slash give, wc.org slash give. And, and you can begin giving, and you can make it recurrent giving if you want to, 
to put God first. Or if you want to mail in your check one fellowship, drive the Woodlands, Texas 77384, you give stocks, you can give assets. You can, we can't all give the same amount, but we can all give. And if you're at our campuses, you could even drop in a check in the generosity boxes on your way out. But the offering is so important because we give to God. Why? Because God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We give to be more like Christ. We give to break the grip of materialism in our lives. And we give because we love God and want him to be first in our lives. Because if God is not first in our time, our schedules, our family, and our finances, then he's not really first. And God says, I am the main character in every area of your life. And so I just really challenge you, put God first in that area, and he says, I will meet your needs, I'll see you through. I don't know where you're at right now, what you're going through, but I know there's so many who are hurting in our congregation and all around us, and Woodland Church is meeting needs like never before, to meet the needs of people who are hurting here in this area and all over our nation, all over the world in such a powerful way. And so pray that God will multiply your gifts as well, that God will just take it and use it powerfully. Now, what I want us to do right now is just to stand, and I want us to close this service by singing because Jesus took the story of crucifixion and turned it into the story of resurrection. He took the story of death the most horrific death, death by crucifixion, and turn it into the story of life. And maybe right now, you feel like part of you has died. Maybe you've been hurt so deeply that it just feels like part of you has just died. And maybe you're hurting so desperately that you just feel numb going through the motions of life, and God wants to resurrect you to life. God wants to resurrect your passion. God wants to resurrect your heart and your life for him, God can take anything and bring it to life. And so I just really challenge you to sing with all your heart. Let's sing this song with all of our hearts. And when it comes to the part where we shout out, let's shout out. Let's just sing to the Lord. Let this be our dedication to the Lord that he has the pen. He's gonna write our story and he's gonna write that story from death to life for his glory. Let's sing. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.